Well, let's open our Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read uh, beginning with verse 1 as we talk about the generous life. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. Let's, let's come now to verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And if you have your Bible, you can open it with me and follow along. That's a good way to do it. Let's read these verses together. The Bible says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Well, here's the principle I want you to get with me this morning. The grace of God leads us to a life of generosity. The grace of God leads us to a life of generosity. And as we worked our way through this book of the Bible, we come to a section now where Paul's going to talk in some detail about the church's responsibility to help the church in Jerusalem who's going through a time of need. And he's talking to them about generosity. He's talking to the church of Corinth. Of course, this is a book written to the church of Corinth. But he's going to give them the example of the churches in Macedonia. That's places like Philippi or Thessalonica or Berea. If you've read through the New Testament, you've come across some of those names. And those churches have been especially generous already. And Paul's going to use that to talk to the church at Corinth about their, their generosity. And he says it's the grace of God that's led to this generosity. He says in verse 1, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. He's talking about generosity. And by the way, I think, guys, the little hazer is still on, and I can hear it, and that's what bothers me the most. And I, you don't need to see me, really, but as long it just bothers me. Well, anyway, the last hour, my mic uh, just popped throughout the whole thing, and so it's just been, uh, I feel like, just good to have a mic that works good. And I found sometimes it just, it seems like the Lord just gives me more ways to irritate you. And the popping mic was just a new way for me to irritate you. So I'm, if it pops again, we'll just, we'll just overcome it. So the, it's the grace of God, the Bible says, that is the generosity of the churches, the grace of God. So let's note a couple of things here. First, would you know that God is a generous giver? He's a generous giver. The grace of God was given, or in verse 6, it's called the act of grace. And we, we recognize that God is given to us. He, Christmas is about God sending his son Jesus into the world to live for us. The cross is about the generosity of the Lord to us. He gives to us. Salvation is about God's gift to us. The word grace is about God's giving. It's about God's generosity. If it was something God owed to us, it wouldn't be grace Grace is saying God gives us the love we don't deserve. And may I just tell you, we do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve the cross. And we do not deserve salvation. And you can't even come to faith in the Lord Jesus if you feel that God owes that to you somehow. It's grace. It means God gives us what we don't deserve. And what we deserve is something far worse. God is a generous giver. And our generosity responds to God's generosity. Our generosity responds to his generosity. Verse 6 calls it the act of grace when we're generous with others. And so 
I want to talk to you about the grace of God that leads us to a life of generosity. Let me start by saying just two things. Of course, we'd love for you to give through FBCO. We'd love that. Many of us tithe. We give a tenth of our income to the budget of the church. It's the way we do our ministries and our missions and our responsibilities. We do all the exciting things like student ministry and the less exciting things like paying light bills, but we do that together, and we'd love for you to join us. It's a great thing to give beyond that as God leads to missions and other, and other opportunities. We'd love for you to join us in that. But we also want you to know that we will love you whether you ever give or not. Our love isn't for sale. We don't just love your pocketbook. We love you. In fact, God in heaven is concerned about you. You know, God wants you. He doesn't just want your pocketbook. He wants you. Now, when he has you, he has all of you, of course. But God loves people, and God calls us to love people. And we're just going to love people whether they give or not. I just assume not know any details about your giving. It's probably healthier for me that way. But I, I want to explore this principle that the grace of God leads us to a life of generosity. So let's note seven lessons of the generous life. And if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these down right here. Or if you're uh, watching us online or wherever you may be, let's write these seven principles down together. Number one, the generous life sets an example. It sets an example. So verse one starts by, we want you to know, brothers and sisters. So Paul's saying, I want you to know about these churches in Macedonia who are generous. By the grace of God, they're generous. They set an example. We want you to know this. Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, we want you to know what those churches are doing. There's a power to the example. Or verse 6 says this, so, that is, after describing the generosity of the churches of Macedonia, Paul makes application and he says to the church at Corinth, so, we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. That is the church at Corinth joining in giving. There is a power to the example. Now, I have been a lifelong giver. I started, I grew up in church when I got my first allowance as a six-year-old. I gave a tithe from the very beginning of my life. I've given all my life, but it is not my nature by personality to be a giver. That's just, I'm a saver. Some of you are spenders. I am definitely a saver. I don't like spending. I'm a saver by personality. And the downside of that is a tendency just to want to keep and hold and have. And so generosity doesn't come easily. Now, I've given all my life, but I didn't always give for the right reasons. I didn't always give with the right spirit. I didn't always see the grace of God in my giving. I didn't have what I would call a bent toward generosity but I saw examples of it. My parents gave generously. My father was a construction worker. We never had great amounts of money, but they were very generous in their giving. I saw the example of other believers, people in my life, people in my church, people that I knew who are exceptionally generous, and there was a power to that. And I found myself watching the lives of others and saying, I want something of that. Me with my, may I say, kind of cold heart when it comes to the thought of giving from a human standpoint, I said, I want something of that. I want to give, of course, and continue to give as my responsibility, but I want to learn to be a generous giver. And there was something about the joy I saw in others. We'll talk in sub subsequent messages. You'll see how God loves a cheerful giver, the Bible says. There's a power to that. And I'm thankful for that God puts in our lives some examples for us to see 
what generosity looks like. Number two, would you note the generous life goes beyond circumstances? It goes beyond circumstances. Verse two tells us about this church, the churches in Macedonia. It says, uh, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Man, it wasn't circumstances that caused them to be generous. It was a time of severe trial. Any of you in a severe trial right now? Brought about by affliction. How you feel about affliction? I mean, that's a pretty joyful thought, isn't it? Affliction. Yet right in the middle of affliction, the Bible says about the church, the churches in Macedonia, even though they were facing problems, whatever it was, maybe they had some physical afflictions. They certainly had poverty. Maybe they had some relationship afflictions. Whatever your affliction may be, in the middle of that, the Bible tells us the churches of Macedonia were exceptionally generous because the generous life goes beyond circumstances. Can I tell you something? You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. Now, is that not profound? Were you glad you heard that? You have to be generous to be generous, right? That's what generous is. It's being generous. It's not based on circumstances. In fact, the more you get, in some ways, the more difficult generosity can become for you. Because if materialism can get a hold in your heart when you have little, it can certainly get a hold in your heart as you have more. It's a very common story. Circumstances don't determine our generosity. That comes from the heart. That doesn't come from the circumstances. That comes from the heart. And the churches in Macedonia had a heart for generosity, not just the circumstances of generosity. So my wife and I, um, in our early marriage, had some great poverty. And it was because of choices that we made based on what we believed God wanted us to do. We um, got married young and we moved off to school. I, was, I, I knew God had called me into vocational ministry and so I started more school and that cost money. And because I was in school, I was um, in smaller churches uh, part-time. I was a pastor, became a pastor for 10 years before I came here more than 26 years ago, if you can believe that, um, in a church that was very small when we came, and they had, we had very little uh, financial ability in that church as a whole. And the other side was really because we made a mis, uh, I guess we call it a miscalculation. I knew that if you had children, you got a tax break, and I thought, if I have enough children, you know, this is really going to work out great. And it, and it was just a failure in my, um, you know, tax understanding, and it, so things were tough. And when I say poverty, I don't, I mean, it was poverty. But we've talked many times, my wife and I, about how we would not trade that for anything. I, I spoke to a couple j just after the last service who came with tears in their eyes telling their story of how God blessed them through time of great poverty in their early years, and yet they were faithful in giving. And so we gave... But um, the church we're in, very, very, very little money, and the church we're in began to really grow. And we knew that we had to buy some land. It's a long story, but we just had, the church needed to buy land because of the circumstances. And it was a big thing. And so we just sought the Lord. We believed this was of God. We asked the church to give. The church had very little, and we had very little. And we began to pray about what we should give. We always had tithed, but now to pray about giving above and beyond that. And, 
God led us to give what was for us an exorbitant amount of money just in our circumstances. And how else would we have learned to trust God? I wonder sometimes, how else would we have learned to depend upon the Lord? And God used those circumstances. Now, I didn't like this. I, I've never prayed for affliction, have you? I don't like difficult circumstances, but I do know God has often used difficult circumstances to my benefit in life. And the generous life goes beyond circumstances because it comes from the heart and not from circumstances. Principle number three. The generous life overflows in wealth. It overflows in wealth. So I just said the church was in poverty. In fact, verse 2 talks about it. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty, note that, so they've got lots of joy and lots of poverty. Boy, they have lots of those two things. And those two things are like tributaries coming into a, into a bigger stream because the Bible says their abundant joy and their extreme, extreme poverty overflowed like a river overflowing the banks in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they had lots of poverty and they had lots of joy. That's all they had. But those two things combine to lead to an overflow in a wealth of generosity. I mean, they just gave generously and they were wealthy in generosity, the Bible says. Some of you will watch this year, the, um, the uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a tradition for many families. It's a, one of those, an old movie, like overacting and all the dramatic things they did in, the, in that day of cinematography. And they have two main characters in that story. I don't, think it, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you wouldn't know easily by telling you about these two main characters. George Bailey, he's the kind of the good guy, you know, always wants money but never has it, goes through great difficulties, helps the community in every way, has lots of friends. And on the other hand, there's Mr. Potter, who is very wealthy financially. And you see those two characters a good deal in the movie. And at the end of the movie, near the end of the movie, someone in the process says about one of the characters, he says uh, something like, he's the richest man in town. Now, which one does he say that about? Mr. Potter, who has all the money, or George Bailey, who has all the service? And, of course, you know, a sappy story has to make it about George Bailey, right? I mean, he's the guy who's the wealthiest man in town because there's something in his heart. He's the man who's wealthy in friends. He's the man who's wealthy in help. He's the man who's wealthy in service. The Bible is saying God wants you to be wealthy in generosity. And there's, if you have all the riches of the world, you are poor in God's economy if you don't have the things of God, the things that last and count and matter, the things that go beyond this world, the things that, that make an impact and a difference for the kingdom of God. And so the generous life overflows in wealth. Number four, the generous life is supernatural in result. It's supernatural in result. Let's go to verse three. I can testify that, Paul says, Paul says I'm going to give a testimony. Here's what I know. I testify that according to their ability, the, church, the churches in Macedonia gave everything they could, and then it says, and even beyond their ability. They gave everything they could, and then they gave more. They gave everything they could, and then they gave everything they couldn't, even beyond their ability. This is supernatural. This is the work of God. This is God taking 
This is God taking the loaves and the fishes and feeding the multitude. This is exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. This is doing what only God can do. Where it doesn't, it's, not the, it's not something I do. It's something God does in me and through me and with me and for me. I mean, God does this. God takes what we think we can do and he stretches us and he changes us and he works in us and through us. And God does his supernatural work through us and in us beyond what we can ask or think. It's really, in many ways, the story of FBCO. Some of you know that in the 70s, the church almost closed. Twelve people met together. You heard this story maybe more recently. Twelve people met together and to decide whether to keep the church open. That, it was that small, and they kept it open and said, we're going to believe God for great things. And God began to grow the church in the mid and late 70s, and the church got to the point where they were completely landlocked. They were built there. You know, the church started in 1867, and nobody came in cars in those days. They didn't need parking lots. And, and so they just, uh, just some serious space problems, and they started looking, believed that God wanted them to make a greater impact in this area for his glory, and they began to look at places. They almost bought um, a few acres of, of land. They would have been landlocked quickly. Long ago, the church would have had to stop growing, but God intervened, and a guy named Frank Tempia Sr., his son is still in our church. Frank Sr. has gone on to be with the Lord, uh, had some family members who had this property, the first 20 acres of the property, property that we're on now, and uh, the church rallied and gave beyond what they could imagine to buy the property. And then they gave and built the first building on our property. Now we call it the Kids Life Center. And then all the other buildings that came, the temporary buildings that felt kind of permanent. Temporary buildings tend to stay around a long time. Gyms and buildings and education buildings. And some of you remember, if you've if you been here long enough, when we built this worship center, that seemed to us like the biggest thing. We'd already done a few other projects then, but this one seemed so huge and big and such a big step. And we sacrificed and we just believed God was in it. We trusted God and God provided and then buildings beyond. Some of you may not know this, but the, we didn't own all the property that we have now. We did not own the property that we call the front of the, of the church property now. The property where the sign is, was not ours until just really a few years ago. We didn't even own that property, and God provided through people, uh, people who, there were some people who left the church in their will, people who gave sacrificially and faithfully over the years, and really it's a, we would say, those of us who have gone through this, we would say, man, this is beyond what we could have done. We didn't have very many who had very much wealth, we didn't have very much power, we didn't, this is more than we could do, but God worked in us so that we would say we did all we could according to our ability and God worked even beyond our ability. We did what we could and then God did what we couldn't. Wouldn't you like somewhere in your life to say, I, man, that's God. That's, just, that's not just my talent. That's not just my ability. That's not just my hard work. But I see God working in me and through me and with me and for me. Wouldn't you like to see that in your life? And the Bible tells us we can join God in his work, and God, who is supernatural, does the work through very natural, normal, fallen, broken people like us who just follow him and trust him and walk in faith behind him. The generous life is supernatural in result. By the way, can I just remind you that I have never saved anyone, nor has anyone in our church, 
That's a supernatural work of Jesus. We share the gospel. We pray. We witness. We love. We encourage. We invite. We invest. But God does the saving. He uses us, but it's supernatural in result. Principle number five. The generous life is passionate about giving. It's passionate about giving. This couple that I mentioned, an older couple now that just were crying about the memory of all the giving over the years and how when they had so little, they, just, they were passionate about giving. Verse 3 tells us about this. Uh, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, Paul's saying it was, it was their idea, nobody made them. By the way, we don't make you do things here. And we encourage you, we urge you, we tell you the truth, but at some point it's got to come from your heart. It can't just be, I'm going to do something because the pastor made me feel guilty or because my mom called and asked if I was doing the right thing. But of my own heart, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Make it your own accord. Verse 4, they begged us, this is right in the text, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Man, they begged us and they did it earnestly. And that's someone who's passionate about giving. What are you passionate about? What is it really that you're just passionate about? Your hobbies? I mean, great, but will it even matter in eternity? Or your job? Listen, I love that you love your job, and I love to see people working hard, and you ought to do your best with the opportunities God gives you, of course, but, I mean, at some point that ends. Your family? I love if you're passionate about families. Great, and friends? I, Good things, but are you passionate about the things that God cares deeply about? And many who name the name of Christ would have to admit that they're passionate about really small things and not very passionate about big things. They're sort of, they sort of yawn about the things that matter deeply and are passionate about the little teeny things of life. If you're not careful, that will be you. The, the generous life is passionate about giving. Of their own accord, they begged us earnestly. Notice number six, the generous life loves to help others. Loves to help others. Verse four says, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Notice those two words, privilege and ministry. So they saw giving as a privilege, not just the responsibility. For many years, I gave, as I said, all of my life, I've been a giver, but I did it for many years in many ways out of responsibility. But at some point, I began to see it as a privilege. I'm asking God to continue to help me to grow in this area, to see it as a privilege. And generosity sees giving as a privilege, as an opportunity. Notice the word ministry. It's the ministry to the saints. This is not just something we do because it's a, a job or responsibility, but it's a privilege. We are giving. We are helping. And that's what the generous life is about. It, wants to, it loves to help others. It's saying, I'm not here just for me. And God didn't put me in this world just for me. Did you think God had you here just for you? Is that what you thought? Did you think somehow that the Christian life was just about you? Was it just about what you can get? The consumer mentality is very alive among believers in the Western world. Very alive. And we begin to see Christianity as what's in it for me. And what do I get? And take and take and take and take. So in Israel, there are these two 
major bodies of water. And I love this example. It's just God has used this in my life so many times. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, and it's receiving water. The water of the Jordan comes from the mountains and down through all the way, eventually right into the Dead Sea. And there it takes, but it never gives. And all the water evaporates. It's 10 times more salty than the ocean and no, no life, no fish. Always taking and never giving. Very common story. Very common among people who name the name of Christ. What's in it for me? Always taking. I want, I get, I receive, I'm blessed. I want blessings, I want blessings. But there's also the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is farther north and the in the mountains in the north, the water flows and down the Jordan River into the Sea of Galilee, but it doesn't just stay there. It also flows back out on the way to the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee is alive. The people still fishing. Jesus, you may remember, was on the Sea of Galilee. The fishermen with him on the Sea of Galilee still today. People are fishing on the Sea of Galilee because it receives and it gives. It takes and it gives. It takes and it gives. Now, listen, there's a lot of things about receiving that we I mean we receive a lot of things in the Christian life God blesses us and we're thankful for blessings but God doesn't bless us just so we have blessings we're not blessed just so we have blessings that would make us very much like the Dead Sea itself but we're blessed to be a blessing and I'm thankful for every blessing God gives, but if I just hold them, if I just take them, I am no different than the rest of the materialistic world that just says, what's in it for me? Christian life just about me. When God reminds me it's about ministry and about service and about sacrifice and about love and about caring for others and about thinking of other people and not just myself. And, and when we get that right, what a change that is in our spirit, in our life. The generous life loves to help others. Number seven, the generous life gives for the right reason. Now here's where I want to get. I've always given, but I want to learn to give for the right reason. So the Bible says in verse 5, and not just as we had hoped. Paul said this wasn't like I expected it from the churches in Macedonia. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Now I want to make a confession to you I don't always make. I don't give to the church I give to the Lord through the church now don't get me wrong I give through the church I write my checks I give our we give through the church we believe in the church I sometimes feel like we're we've lost sight of the value of the church God made the church the Western world especially has lost sight of the value of the church created by God. This is not a man thing, it's a God thing. God made the church. And someone ought to say how valuable the church is, how God made it, though it's filled with people like us. That's the problem. I get that. It's messed up because it's made up of people like us. I know that. Every one of us fallen. Every one of us broken. Only the Lord, only the Lord could hold people like us together. But God made the church. But I don't give to the church. I give through the church. I give to the Lord. Because the Bible says it's not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. The churches of Macedonia were so generous because they said, I'm giving to God. I'm not just giving to things. I'm not just giving to, to temporal issues. I'm giving to the Lord. And when you get that right, it changes how you see 
You know, did you realize everything God puts in your hand comes from him? It's all his. But we are giving to the Lord who's given to us, and we give through the church. And there is a power to that. And there's a blessing in the generous life. And I don't want you to miss it. It's painful for some when I talk about the generous life, I suspect. My goal isn't to make you feel guilty or feel pain or hurt or sorrow, but I do know God uses those things in our lives sometimes to call us to a generous life, to say, hey, don't make your life about you. Don't just be about what you get. Don't just search for the blessing so you can have it. But you be a blessing. And you think of someone else. And you give. And you get that priority right. You get those perspectives right. And God honors that. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And as we pray, maybe some of you just need to do some business with God. Maybe there's just something particular God's going to speak to your heart about. Materialism is a very real part of our culture. And if you search your heart very deeply at all, you'll know that as well. Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart about something in this issue, just to have the generous life. Some of you need to trust Christ as Savior. God has been so generous. He is a giving God. And he has reminded you that he loves you. That he sent his son Jesus to live for you, to die on the cross in your place. I want to ask you to give your life to Christ, to trust him as Savior and receive that salvation. But Christian, would you say, God, I want, to, I want this generous life. I want to be like that church. I want to, they begged earnestly for the privilege of sharing. Man, that's not always me, God, but I want it to be me. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. That's not always me, God, but I want it to be me. Give me a heart like Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Thank you for the hope it gives. Help us to have a generous life. We see all too clearly how easy it is for us just to take and receive and to want and to gain and to see blessings as just things we have and hold instead of seeing blessings as means by which we bless. And so, Lord, I pray you'll change our spirit and our heart and deep within Help us to learn from those churches in Macedonia. Through all that affliction, through all the extreme poverty, uh, to, to learn from those churches who loved like Jesus loves, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen.